living through one of those changes that historians will mark the end of one era and mark the beginning of another. T-E-T-C. The end times continue. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the end times continue. Recorded on this the 29th of July. I am Dino, and you are? I am Ace. How's it going today, my friend? Uh, it is going pretty well, pretty well. Not too bad, not too bad. What about yourself? Oh, I'm all right. Uh, my girlfriend is ill. I uh, oh. yeah, Well, she just finished taking the bar, so everything's crashing. And also, oh. you know, uh, it's a, there is a COVID spike, and she was yeah. in a room with like a thousand people, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she, uh, but she took the bar, and uh, I I feel she's going to do pretty good. She's less confident, but based on everything I've seen about this bar exam, I think she'll be fine. Because this particular well, this particular one, the 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 NCBE, which is the organization that writes the multi state bar, the or the I can't remember what they call it, universal uniform bar exam. That's what it is. Um, the NCBE has uh, decided to attack the bar prep industry. And I don't know why they put a bunch of topics on that, uh, on the essays. Uh, uh, and I didn't get this information from my girlfriend, by the way, this is just putting pieces together from like Reddit and other places. Apparently they put a bunch of essays on the bar exam that are some of the topics that people are told not to study because they never show up. And they just made all of the essays, those topics. (laughs) Oh Yeah. Yeah, so uh, it went poorly for everyone, which means it went poorly for no one. It's a curved exam, so (laughs) what's it matter? (laughs) But but that's finally out of the way. My girlfriend is back in the land of the living, um, except now she's ill, so... Oh, man. (laughs) It always happens like that. It's like, yeah, all right, I'm finally done. And then, you know, just like, oh, now I'm sick. That's I, I've had many times like that where it's like I've been uh, prepping for something or like um, just been consumed with a lot of time dealing with one thing. And then, you know, something else just hits right after. Immediately. It it's horrible. That. I feel I feel really bad for her. And yeah. uh, and it's especially it doesn't seem like it's COVID. It doesn't seem COVID. It seems more like, you know, airplane crud. You get that airplane crud where you might have a fever and a shitty throat for a few days after an airline ride from like a convention or something. It seems like that. So, so I, I don't know if it's that big a deal, but it's, it's fine. We're leaving town. We're going to be on a trip. Speaking of the reason that we are recording, uh, out of schedule, this episode's still going to drop on Monday as, as, as episodes of the show do. But um, the reason that we're recording out of schedule today and a little bit uh, next week as well is because I'm going on a trip. I'm going to go see family and and, uh, do stuff like that. My brother is stateside for the first time in uh, three years. So very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see him. I haven't seen him in a very long time. And so that's going to mess with the schedule just a little bit, but it'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, I've always got too much shit going on. (laughs) It's like, what have you been up to? Oh, things are all right. And I'm just like, well, here's the hell that's befallen me this week. (laughs) 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 Oh, goodness. Okay. Well, speaking of this week, uh, 
What would you like to start with, sir? We have a few topics here. Uh, well, this is just like this just happened. I think like an hour before we from now when we're recording. Um, uh, just in uh, the House votes to ban semi-automatic weapons after 18-year lapse uh, in, a, in a response to shootings, but it's likely to stall in the Senate. Um, is the report? Um, yes. But yeah, the House passed that bill. The House passed. It's basically a revival of the old assault yeah. weapons ban that lapsed a while back. Yeah. Um, and this is, uh, is H.R. 1808. According to FPC, um, uh, Firearms Policy Coalition, okay, this is their statement. Today, the House of Representatives passed H.R. 1808, which would, if enacted, criminalize the lawful and constitutionally protected conduct of millions of Americans. In a time of economic recession, gross overreach and abuse of power by the federal government and cascading government policy failures at all levels, 217 depraved representatives, including the deciding votes cast by Republicans Jacobs and Fitzpatrick, voted to violate the natural rights and our, uh, violate natural rights and our Constitution, choosing to promote policies that would imprison peaceable people who have done no wrong. There is no world in which American gun owners bend the knee and comply with this evil legislation. Further, if H.R. 1808 is enacted, FPC law will swiftly and aggressively take all actions necessary to fight and enjoin the bill. And to all those who supported the passage of this immoral legislation, we say simply this. Fuck you. No. Beautiful. God, I love them. Yeah, they're, they're great. <laughs> After the Firearms <laughs> Policy Coalition. <laughs> they're the best! Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love them. So this is essentially a revival of the AWB, uh, by as I understand it. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't think this passes in the Senate. I really don't. Yeah, it it's seems uh, it, weird. Right? Yeah, it's. It, <laughs> um, I don't. I I actually don't. I should have looked into this more, but I don't know if it's the same bill. Um, but, um, I, I have a Twitter thread from, um, basically saying that the Democrats tried to smuggle in something with the bill, um, like into the bill that would essentially fund, uh, uh, b like billions of dollars for a hundred thousand more police and an expansion of surveillance. I saw you posted that thread. What's going on yeah. with that? The, yeah. it was from, uh, Alec, uh, Karaketsenis. I assume that's how you yes. pronounce that name. Um, yes. Who posted this thread? What what's the deal with this? Because I haven't I ha I didn't see this. Okay, yeah. So apparently the House leadership, the Democrat House leadership, essentially is trying to smuggle this into the bill. I don't know if they succeeded or not. Um, but that's that's what they attempted to do. From what he's saying, it sounds like they've did like they've actually incorporated that language into the bill itself. And that apparently when people are when these legislators are voting on you know, uh, banning guns essentially, or, or putting heavy restrictions on certain types of guns. They're also, in fact, voting for billions of dollars for a hundred thousand new cops with billions of new tech and weaponry. Uh, That's the report. Um, uh, at the end of that thread, he says, yeah. uh, I'm hearing that Democratic leadership has dropped the surveillance slash militarized police funding for today due to backlash moving forward with the assault weapons ban only. Um, oh, and then okay. an update following that, that was seven hours ago, this update's four hours ago, Pelosi is now <laughs> apparently working in secret to push this again. We still don't know what's being said, what's being negotiated, and how much of Biden's plan is included, uh, how much more money for police militarization, etc. It's all happening in secret and being rushed. So that may or may not still be appended to this yeah. bill. 
Right. Yeah. We. I, I don't know at this point. And truth, truth be told, I don't think the people voting on it know either. Yeah, it seems no <laughs> um, one knows. So just, that's something to keep an eye on, keep in mind with that. Um, no matter who you vote for, the cops always win. So yeah, that's, exactly. Uh, that's well, but, I mean, that's the thing with this bill, too, is it exempts police and retired police. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Oh, yes, yes. Huh. This, this assault weapons ban. Uh, police yeah. and retired police are still allowed to have these guns. Huh. Not in it's so not in their official capacity, like as <laughs> private owners, right? <laughs> wow, unbelievable! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, unbelievable in a perfectly believable way. Oh, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's absolutely. how I. Yeah, it's one hundred percent the clown world we live in. The end times do continue. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, this is a this is a very common practice, as you and I both know the the yes. the smuggling of of weird special interest shit and other things into bills yeah. that are designed to do something else. Um, one right. of the classic examples of this was the bridge to nowhere. If you remember that little, uh, <laughs> yeah, there was a a bridge project smuggled into a spending bill one time, and it's, it's this is how uh, legislators uh, led the legislature and legislators will generally get pork barrel spending for their districts into other yeah. bills. Yeah. Very, very common thing, but as it happens, it's here too. Um, it's always funny too about, you know, there's this whole thing in democracy where it's like, it's illegal to buy votes, but that's all it really is ultimately, right? You you get voted in and then you, ha- you pay people back for the vote, yeah. right? Or you promise them something in return for the vote. So it's really the same thing. It's just like without the middleman ultimately. Exactly. Uh, it's all bribery. Yeah. It's 100% bribery. But that was the thing too that um, uh, I can't recall exactly, but there's things like this that get, that, that get uh, sort of slipped in all the time. I, I, I seem to recall, and I may be misremembering this, but I seem to recall the repeal of the Smith-Munt Act, which was the law that made it illegal for the United States government to propagandize on U.S. soil. Um, <laughs> the repeal of the Smith-Munt Act was uh, put into one of the uh, National Defense Authorization Acts. Oh, really? Yes. That's in, funny. In one of the National Defense Authorization renewals, they smuggled in the repeal of the Smith-Munt Act. I believe that was in 2012. Incredible. Yeah. That, so this kind like, of thing happens all the goddamn time. And, and, you know, we know, we know that House representatives, senators, they don't read the bills. And no. by design, right? Like, and this isn't even a knock against them personally. The bills are intentionally written in such a way, uh, such a like a legalese way that one, they're incomprehensible to the average person, and two, uh, they're so, oftentimes so fat and so packed full of things. And then the bill gets presented a day before the vote, and it's like there's no possible way a person speed reading could read this whole thing. No, especially with the time that's given. In fact, I believe Loesch, uh, if, if I if I'm recalling correctly tried to introduce a rule change that would give five days to read a bill mm-hmm. and uh like between the bill being submitted and the bill being voted on and um everyone was making fun of her like everyone <laughs> on the left was making fun of her for that uh like what do you need five days to read a bill for and it's like these are thousands of pages of amendments to previous code like uh, uh, the way that a lot right. of these bills work um and this was especially true of the of the gun bill that was pa- passed uh, recently um, you, it's it's all amendments to pre-existing code. So you have to have a federal code book out, and you open it up to the thing that's being amended, and you replace the text with what the text now is. 
And you that's how these bills are written. This is not simply a bill. And also you need some amount of context for like what the previous like standard uh, or law was. That's exactly right. And like to know what is being changed ultimately. Yeah. You have to have the old code out. And you have to cross-reference them. Uh, the way that I do it generally is I'll copy the old code section and I'll paste it in in a Word document, and then I will copy in the amendments, and and that's the new code. Like that's how it would read now. Um, it's very right. easy to make mistakes doing that as well. Very easy to make mistakes doing that. But it's this is not an easy thing to do reading these thousand-page bills. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's really really hard. Um, yeah. And it's so easy for people, because obviously if you just sneak something into the bill in, like, some throwaway sentence that is now has, like, legal weight to it after it's signed, well, it's, like, no, very few people to practically no one uh, is going to catch that, right? Yep. They're not going to let it. And also, if you object to something like that, if you are someone in there and you say, well, no, I'm not going to sign this bill because I object to this little thing passing, they're going to say, oh, so you're holding up, you know, what the people want because you're objecting to this small little thing. And then things just get passed. So there's no real incentive for actually any of these people. That happens all the time. Yeah. If you yeah. remember, I don't have it on my, uh, on my, I should have this on the soundboard, but I don't. Um, when Nancy Pelosi, I believe this was during the passage of the, uh, oh shit, um, Affordable Care Act, maybe when she said mm-hmm. we have to pass the bill so we can find yes. out what's in it. Yes, that's the Affordable Care Act. Yes, fascinating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that was her exact intonation too. She said we have yes. to pass the bill so we can find out what is in it, and it's like, <laughs> wait, wait a minute. <laughs> That seems backward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so there is no telling if that's still appended to this bill. Yeah. No telling at all, uh, because yeah. the last update on this thread... We'll have, I we'll have to wait until it passes or don't passes to find out what is in it. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. And then it'll go to the Senate, and it will probably fail in the Senate. Uh, yeah. I would certainly hope it would fail in the Senate, but... Uh, yeah. Who fucking knows? Who knows yeah. at this point? I don't know. I'm still printing them, so fucking right. <laughs> you're not gonna fucking stop me. Uh- <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other day, I was on Twitter, and I just like underneath it. But I think it was Joe Biden talking about like you know you can't be you know a pro gun or like pro insurrection, pro gun, and pro cop at the same time or something like that. And yes. then I just like. <laughs> and, and then if it's, like oftentimes there was this uh thing going around where it's like well either biden's going to pass an executive order or they're going to try to curtail gun ownership in some way and i just tweeted out underneath the tweet saying unrelated and it was a link to a 3d printer mm-hmm. uh, so it's like yeah yep. it's just you know unrelated but yeah, yeah these are cool there you go these are these yeah. are nice cool things yeah. There was a guy, speaking yeah. of that, there was a guy I was talking to who was saying, like, they're going to, all they have to do is is put people on a list for buying filament. And it's like... Oh, oh, oh yes, yes, please. I mean, technically, yes, but at that point, you just have a list of people who are printing Funko Pops. You, like the, yeah, you don't <laughs> have any, you don't have any proof that they're actually printing guns. It's exactly. Like, there's no way to know that. There's no way to know what they're printing. And there's no, frankly, the, the uh, I, I actually, there were some interesting statistics. The, uh, the, uh, the legislature, Congress, uh, has a report, I believe from 2018 of 3d printing adoption and uh, even in the consumer space. And one of the things that they found was that uh, globally, there's something like 2 million, and about half of those are in the U.S. Consumer 3D printers purchased privately. 
So yeah. the now that doesn't mean there's that many people who own one. I mean, there are people who have banks of 3D printers, right? I would imagine um, that the average uh, individual who owns 3D printers or a 3D printer, the average is probably two or three. Um, but even then, it's just a list of people printing Funko Pops. It doesn't, yeah. it, I mean, you can't, it, the 3D printed gun community is a niche within a niche within a yeah, much exactly. larger community. Right. So there's no, eh. There's no stopping yeah, it. It's not like because if he, if they tried to go after 3D printers themselves, they'd be uh, essentially going after a lot of people who just like have hobbies and like like to make stuff. <laughs> exactly, so, that is exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And not just that, um, but like the 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 people who um, the the 3D printers are open source. You can yes, build the, yes. the there's no patent on the Ender three, not even the software. You can literally right. build one of these things on your own. Yeah, so the idea that, oh, well, we can just patch them so that they can't, you know, um, incorporate, like, gun files. It's like, oh, good luck. It's open source, bud. Yeah. You can just unpatch that right now. Uh, that's what Cura, actually, Ultimaker, one of the, uh, not Ultimaker, I'm sorry. It wasn't Ultimaker Cura. It was, there is a, a fork of Ultimaker Cura that's used by one specific company, and they said that they were going to block the use of 3D printed gun files and stuff. And it's mm. like, you're... You're just forked software. We can just fork you yeah. again uh, yeah, and and take that out. Right. You're not stopping anything. <laughs> it's like it's like the, uh, a person in the middle of the street, like holding out their hand, and the cars are just going around him, and then he thinks he's doing something. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. This, this there is no stopping. You're dropping over. a rock into a river, and it's like, oh wow, you really accomplished something there. Exactly. Um, I mean, hell, there's already, I mean, if I, if I flashed Marlin on my board for my 3d printer, which I'm going to need to do one of these days actually, but, um, that bypasses a lot of the safety controls that are like thermal limits on stuff. <laughs> like this, this is, this is so open. It's, 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 to, you're totally unable to regulate this. Yeah. Um, and it's only going to like, it's only going to grow and, you know, get, I get, well, I was going to say better, but it's like, as you said, it's already open source. It's not like you can necessarily get more open source than open source, but it's like, you know what I mean? It's going to like, uh, the availability is going to improve over time for people yep. to just like make it like fork forever in some sense, which is really the goal, right? It's like, uh, as long as you can always fork, um, then you can, you know, it, not, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they do or say. It's unstoppable. It is yeah. unstoppable, uh, and that's what I yeah. love about it. Um, there were other there were other topics that you posted as well. Uh, do you uh, what do you feel like doing uh, next? Just, yeah, I, well, there's just one where um, um, this is uh, Scott uh, Hetchinger. I, I, I've never said it. I've only read his name, so I'm, I apologize if that's not how you say it. He posted on Twitter. Um, uh, this is astonishing yet not surprising. If it feels like you're far less safe in New York City than ever before, it's not because shootings are up. It's because the media, fueled by lies and fear-mongering by New York City Mayor Eric Adams, is up. And he shows a chart, and he shows the number of shootings uh, from the graph from starting from January of 2019 stays relatively the same. Like, there's a few spikes in, like, J um, July of 2020, but beyond that, it's, like, like very little. It, it's it basically looks like it's a, a little spiky. It looks like it's a little spiky yeah. during peak COVID, and it comes down in the winter. Yeah. Um, but it, the trend looks like it's actually down from peak yes, COVID. It yes, it does. So, um, 
And then, but, but what he shows, so the, the number of shootings is basically, you know, it's a little jagged here and there, but if you stretch it out enough, it's basically like a straight line. Uh, yeah. Practically. It's, it's, it's really yeah. no, there's really no, not much variation. And the variation that do exist uh, happened, uh, like the, the spikes that happened, happened in July of 2020, not right now. Right. But what he shows is the number of shootings that were reported in the media is far up. So they're reporting is basically they're covering shootings more. And this is a common tactic with like what media, the media does in the first place. Right. Because there's always a certain amount of, there's always a certain level of, Oh, this thing is really bad. And it's, you know, it's a really pressing matter uh, because I hear about it on the news so much. Right. Because obviously most people in to get their information from media, that's kind of the purpose of media in the first place. So the fact that if the media just focuses in, like laser focuses in on one topic at a time, people are more likely to think there's an elevated sense of risk when really the statistics don't bear that out. The risk might just be the same as it always has been. The trend might be the same. But if there's more media coverage focusing on it, more people are likely to be in fear from it and then, you know, want to, you know, do something about it. Right. Politically. It appears um, based on this chart since the beginning of the year, there is a threefold increase in shootings being covered. At least it's actually a little higher than that. But quick math, there is a threefold increase in the coverage of shootings and shootings have actually trended. It's flat trending since the beginning of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. So, so, see, this is the thing, right? Um, and this is something like, uh, it, it's one of those things where it's like, there's really, I don't know really anything to do about it. Because it's like, it's just like, I, I would even argue it, it's a problem almost like hardwired into human beings where it's like, obviously, you're more likely to pay attention to things you feel like might be a risk to you. And the media knows this. And when they can show you something that in an attempt to scare you, they're doing this because they know that you're going to take it more seriously. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, um, things that might be a threat to you are often ranked higher in importance than things that are not a threat to you at any given moment. Even um, if it's you know, not ideological. which it, Right. And even if it's not ideological, which it probably is, but even if it's not, it's it's part of the DNA of journalism. I, I, I'm, yes. When I was when I was in J school, um, one of the one of the primary things that you're taught in journalism school is manipulation. You're manipulating your reader. Um, they call it framing, <laughs> but it's manipulation. Um, this is uh, it's in the DNA of journalism. It's what you're yes. taught as a journalism student is how to lie to people and convince them that things are happening when they're not really happening that way. Exactly. Or or to that amount. Right. Because obviously. Right. Um, yeah. And even if you're like, let, let's take the best case scenario. Let's say you're you're an honest journalist and you are you don't have any inherent agenda or you, your, your agenda isn't like it doesn't come through on the page. Right. You just want to report the facts. Uh, that type of person, whether you believe that type of person exists or not. Let's just go with it for this hypothetical. Sure. Um, even in that scenario, um, that person is also. Uh, probably running on some type of biological level where they're like, oh, this might be a danger. Um, I'm going to report on this more because it's more important than other things that might not be a danger or as right. dangerous to people. 
right? And also remember, uh, the journalist, uh, this journal, the hypothetical journalist is also limited by his frame of reference. So the type of data that he has available or the type of things that um, um, he's aware of um, may skew how he's going to report it to you, even if he thinks he's being completely honest in his reporting. And from there, uh, that's absolutely right. From there, though, you introduce ideology and everything goes off the rails. Exactly. the, The manipulation just becomes pervasive. Exactly. I, I don't mean to say, obviously, uh, that, you know, the ju- most journalists are just these, you know, hypothetical journalists. Where sure. Just, right. Know, right, right, right. I, I obviously, yeah, ideology obviously plays into it. But even giving them the problem. greatest benefit of the doubt, yeah. there is still going to be a There's lot still, of uh, bias. Yes. Because obviously when you're watching the news, um, you're, you're going to be seeing things that are intent to scare you. Right. Um, even, even the fact that, you know, it's not that a lot of times, you know, there is obviously fake news out there, but even the real news that gets reported in a disingenuous way, right. In a way that makes uh, it seem like it's more press uh, pressing of a threat than it really is, or the type of media that will just, you know, um, constantly uh, badger you over the head with a report when really it's, um, going out of its way to try to scare you. This happens all the time. And, you know, you never see it reported on the media things that would, you know, counterfactuals, counterexamples, right. for example, right? Do you, you remember, never see that. Do you remember the video of the woman in the canoe? Um, she was a journalist and she was doing her stand up and she was she was saying that, that uh, about how bad the flooding was in this area. Yes. And she's in a canoe and she's canoeing along a street and in the background, people in like rain boots basically walk through the water. It was like four inches, like, five inches of water. And yeah, she's in a if, canoe doing her stand up. Yes. Yes. I remember that well. It's that it, 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 large. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. She's in a canoe talking about like major flooding and there's people in the background of the video, not even in the background. It, she's, it's not, they're not too far away from her right. and they just like walk right past, just yeah. walk right through the water. Yeah. And it's like, oh, and like, and like just, just over ankle deep water and they're yeah. walking past her. It's hilarious, <laughs> but it's that, it's that phenomenon yeah. writ large. It, that's, that's, that's in the DNA of journalism. Yeah. So um, th- there's all, there's this theory, obviously, you know, um, um, the um, uh, Nick Land. Uh, do you know who Nick Land is? I've heard the name. I can't place it. Uh, Nick Land. Uh, he's an interesting fellow. I'll put it like that. Um, uh, <laughs> he's kind of like uh, the I want to say, like, probably the foundational, like, neo-reactionary uh, guy, pretty much. OK. Um but he he's actually interesting. I, I I think I like him better than um, I like him better than uh, like Curtis Yarvin, for example. I think is just as far as like um, his writing goes. But I, um, he has this idea that, and I think he's correct. And this isn't obviously unique to him. Many other people have touched on this. But like um, uh, his idea is that in a democracy, the media is the true sovereign, right? And this is because the political. What is the side, what is determined as what are the political topics at any given time that uh, are going to be voted on in any given time always have a precedent in the media. They, there's some preceding factor, some preceding media generation that creates these topics in the first place. Yeah. Uh, and I think that pro- that's absolutely true. Um because like they, the media determines the type of discourse that is going on at any given time. 
Um, you know, and Chomsky obviously talks about this in, you know, uh, manufacturing consent and things like that. You, you, you create a specific narrative where this is your, uh, you know, range or spectrum of allowable opinion you can have on any given topic. And these are the limited opinions that are, exist, right? That's also touched on in the uh, hypernormalization documentary. Um, and I can't remember who made that. But the that it's it's very much that same thing in that in that vein of manufacturing consent and and that idea that media is the uh, the more powerful force of of the um, I guess the regime if you want to put it that way right like it, it's not the it's not the most direct obviously the state is the most direct uh, it has the most direct effect on you uh, but the media determines in some sense, you know, most people's ideas about what is and what isn't. And that's well, a very powerful. Thing. It's largely responsible for legitimation. Like the, yes. the, when you, um, you know, per Max Weber, like the, when you, the, the sort of idea of, legi- of legitimizing government action and government violence, um, mm-hmm. the, the media plays the largest role in doing that, at least in this modern age, right? The, yeah. Where it used to be the church or it used to be any of these other organizations. Yes. Um, now it's media and yeah. they can do that by manipulating the people in, in very yeah. much this way, manipulating the people to be afraid of a thing. Well, the government must do something. Um, this happened with the Patriot Act immediately after 9-11. Um, <laughs> it's that's yeah. the best example of it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there have been like uh, psychological um, experiments done, like social experiments done. Uh, and you, you can, you know, find many examples of this where they'll take people in a room. Right. And and everyone is in on it except one person. Right. So the it really hinges on this one person's answer. Mm-hmm. And they'll show a bunch of people like a line, like line A, B and C. And they're all different sizes. And they're trying to match which line is an exact match of line D. And everyone else in the room gives the wrong answer. And the person who's not in on it likely also will give the wrong answer. And this is oh, just wow. due to social pressure. Just going along um, with the social. Oh, that's fascinating. Yes. So at first, at first they'll say, wait, no, it, it's, they'll give the correct answer at first. But then when everyone answers the, like, wrong again, th- they begin to like doubt themselves. And it's something uh, obvious. It's not like an optical yeah. illusion or anything. It's just yeah, lines. Exactly. It's obvious. It's, li- it's lines and height. So you're just matching which line on this side of the graph matches this line on this side of the graph. Uh, and I, I, there's obviously like one's really short, one's really tall, one's medium size. Oh and, my God. And, and uh, and you know, it's it, people, they'll, they'll get everyone in a room and they'll say all the, you know, actors essentially will give the wrong answer. And then the person who's like not in on it, who's basically the, the, the focal point of the experiment, they will also give the wrong answer just because that social pressure is so powerful uh, that it's it's just, it, it's really scary to think about. Oh my <laughs> god! Well, people yeah. in groups. I mean, we've we've known this about people in groups forever. Yeah. Is that the individual is smart and groups of people are stupid? Like yes. the the <laughs> the individual can be intelligent, but yeah. the as soon as you drop that individual into a situation where you have social reciprocity at play, they can make really stupid decisions. Oh yes, yeah, absolutely. Is it, <laughs> The, like I, I'm not going to say like anyone is immune to propaganda, but it, it certainly it, there certainly is a thing where it's like people who just have no care of like social acceptance 
uh, those type of people who like just don't care about like society's norms or anything like that. Right. They're the most they're the most resistant to that type of <laughs> they manipulation. Are. Yeah. Um because it's yeah, a, it's, it's, a, it's it's existing in a state of uh of credulity or yes, incredulity yes. rather. It's existing in a state of incredulity where you're like you're you're constantly like, "Yeah, but I don't buy it." So Right. <laughs> like I'm well, not, no, I'm not going to be convinced also, just because you say it enough. But that's also, you know, this is also referenced in the story about, you know, the the king with no clothes or the emperor with no clothes, right? Which is the whole point of that story is that, you know, the, so the the whole idea of the story, right? So the, these two like swindlers essentially convince an emperor that he's fully wardrobed, right? Yes. Um, and they say only an incredibly beautiful men- clothing, the nicest yeah. Ever, yeah, yes. it's and, wonderful. And it's beautiful clothes. Yeah, I'm wearing beautiful. the greatest clothes you've ever seen. Uh, they're yeah. they're incredibly beautiful. So the the you know um, they tell him that look um, you the, you are wearing the most immaculate, uh, beautiful, ornate designed uh, clothing of any mm-hmm. emperor ever. You know, it's just beautiful clothing. And they say, but there's there's a catch to it. Um, people with degenerate minds can't see it. Yep. It's it's like they don't even see it, right? And um the the emperor, uh, you know, he obviously doesn't want to say anything because obviously, you know, he wouldn't want to admit he has a degenerate mind. Sure. Uh, but then he gets paraded, he gets paraded out through the town, and then they tell and then they say the same story to everyone else. They're like, Look, isn't this great? Look at this beautiful uh new wardrobe the emperor has on. And of course, you know, they say, well, only only a person with a degenerate, a degenerate mind oh, can't see the clothes. And then everyone kind of, you know, all the adults there, they kind of understand, oh, I, I, you know, they wouldn't want, they obviously don't see the clothes. Well, if I they say, if I say it. I can't see it, I'm that guy. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So everyone kind of like social, like convinces themselves that they see it. And then they see everyone else going along with it. So they must think that everyone else sees the clothes too. And that they're the only one out, right? So they're the oddball out and no one wants to admit it. But then the child, the little child says, the emperor has no clothes on. And of course that when, when the child says it, the little child the, the spell breaks, right? Mm-hmm. Because obviously, well, this little, little tiny child can't have a degenerate mind, so we've obviously just been swindled and lied to. Sure. Uh, so it, it, it kind of is that power of like, and, and this is also reproduced in, in similar studies where it was like, if one other person steps up and says the right answer in regard to the line graph, then the other person will stick to their The whole thing story. falls apart. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's a very interesting, like, uh, uh, like anecdote of psychology. I and guess. people try this. Uh, I mean, you can apply this to to daily sort of interactions with people. People try this when you're talking about, for example, something like gun control, where mm-hmm. they say, "Well, look, if you don't care about kids and their lives, then right. I guess that's on you." And it's like, well, <laughs> I'm not. I I never said that. First of all. Secondly, this doesn't solve that. And thirdly, like, like you know, you can run through all the reasons, but it doesn't matter right. because they're convinced yeah, by in group that this is what caring for kids looks like. And also they have no they generally have no response. They either just like double down and repeat what they said because they don't expect the other person to have a response type thing. Right. Because right. if you're oftentimes when people are so inculcated in an in group, um, 
they're only a they're not able to engage in argument with people who are like an out group i guess or like people who have opposing ideologies because they just don't understand it quite they right. don't understand them because they only know it from one perspective or it's they immediately a dodge where it's like we'll tell that to yeah. australia where it's already worked and yada yada it's like but that doesn't answer <laughs> right. the the things i brought up though exactly. like that's not addressing what i just said um very 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 common <laughs> And it's almost, it's not exclusive to political discourse, but it's almost exclusive to political. I guess anywhere where anyone is is invested, you see this kind of behavior. Yeah. Like when people are incredibly invested in their in-group opinion being respected. Yep. So yeah, like, you you should always be aware of, like, uh, that you're not immune to propaganda and that the media is often, like the the main propaganda machine and it's it's like wary. cults and it's like cons yeah. everybody yeah. can fall for this stuff you have to be vigilant yeah. and also don't i would not recommend going all the way in the other direction and assuming that if the media is reporting something that it's always like fabricated or something every aspect of it is a lie yeah yes i've seen i've seen people go down that road too and it's just like you're you're actually just being scared into the opposite position now right before you were being scared into believing everything the media says and now you're being like scared into like thinking all everything they possibly ever say is a lie in every facet yeah and it's like that's there's a rational middle road here yeah and kind of like and you can tell when it's like based on the story if it's a story that's going to introduce bias be on the lookout for that kind of thing if it's somebody reprinting something a ceo said or reprinting something that a a police chief said that person Mm. might be lying but the journalist probably isn't they're just reprinting something somebody said it's not that big a deal (laughs) yeah yep um actually we have an example of this we have a really good example of this What's that? In the topics. Um, so I saw a video of Kamala mm-hmm. Harris oh. <laughs> doing this weird thing. And I was like, what the fuck is she doing? She was sitting at the head of a table at this meeting, which is being recorded, of course, for the record. Mm-hmm. And she begins by saying, I'm Kamala Harris. I'm the woman sitting at the end of the table in a blue suit. She's like describing herself. Yeah, like, like, like almost like almost like breaking the fourth wall in like like she's in a book, right? Or right, like right, that. exactly. She's like the exactly. Well, welcome to the end times. Continue. I'm Dino. I'm the guy yeah. with a beard and a red tank top. What's it matter? This is an audio format. <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, I think the idea I think the idea was uh, that so um, I I could be wrong on this, but this is the way I've seen it like kind of reported to me was um, it's for people who are blind. That is what it is. Yes. Okay. yes, it is. It is. I I didn't know what it was until I saw this thread about it. It is a it's trying to be inclusive of blind people. Right. I have a question for you, Ace. (laughs) assuming this person is blind and was born blind right (laughs) what what frame of reverence do they have for a blue suit for blue suit yeah yeah uh yeah like this argument i can i can buy it if they're talking about people who went blind um but for people who are born blind it's always one of those things where it's like i don't think you saying blue suit or like giving a overly descriptive uh, like visual is going to help. 
Exactly. Um, there was a there was an essay. Amy Alcon uh, posted on Twitter a screenshot from an essay uh, written by a guy who she describes as being um, uh, she described as being visually impaired. I don't know mm-hmm. if that means kind of blind. I'm not really sure what the it leaves a lot open. Yeah, it really does. But in any case, uh, the individual writes. Um, it's difficult enough to inspire society to make accommodations that are unequivocally helpful. However, allowing practices like these to take up the little bandwidth we get does a disservice to all those accommodations we need but do not receive. Even people of goodwill have only so much energy and attention. If we squander it on unhelpful practices, we risk not only opportunities for real progress, but also the trust people have in us to ask for what we genuinely need. People's time is valuable. And it is disrespectful for us to avert our sensibilities while they're using their time and ours under the mistaken impression that we typically need to know how they look and what they're wearing to participate in a meeting. Blind and sighted people alike express dismay at how much time this practice takes because they feel the practice is not conferring a genuine accommodation. Most of the people I spoke with felt it was a waste of everyone's time to go through the motions of self-description. Many people with whom I spoke about the practice also felt that it uh, made them or others uncomfortable. I heard the perspectives like the following, quote, I've been blind my whole life. I've never seen any of the colors or what anyone looks like, including myself. I don't need to know this stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think this is like, this is like what I despise about the left probably the most is how performative it all is. It's for all performative. Like, it's all performance. And That's they have no interest in doing anything actually helpful unless they can perform it publicly. Yes, and like it's not right. This is the thing, right? It, to me, it, it, like some people, I think have degraded the term virtue signaling to be anything that, like, when someone is talking about right or wrong or what they see as right or wrong, that's not virtue signaling to me. What virtue signaling to me is is when someone becomes overly melodramatic and tries to make it about them in in talking about them. It's narcissistic. I I was gonna... Yes, it is 100% narcissistic to sit there and describe how you look for the the benefit of who? Blind people? What do they fucking care? Right. Like, so I've seen some... uh, There's some, like, um... Uh, something analogous to this in like uh, video games uh, where like I, I seen some of them starting to um, I think this is going to be in the, in the last of us remake I remember reading something about this where they're talking about um, how like certain uh, like cutscenes will now have an audio description almost like an audiobook type thing uh, and, yeah you know, Netflix did that with fun. the Marvel shows yeah. and stuff and it was actually kind of oh, cool because uh, you could listen to yeah. the Marvel show like a podcast while you're like right. exercising or whatever and the descriptions yeah. are very good. They're very book like. Yeah. You really get a so feel for the scene. That makes sense for like like media like that. I I think that's that's awesome. Uh if like they're willing to make make those accommodations. But for some what what you think like for one, I don't know of many people who want to like know of Kamala Harris's existence in the first place. So uh, the no. fact that she's giving me an overly uh, descriptive uh like description of like wh- like who she is and what she's wearing uh is not something I needed. Uh, I don't think it's something many people needed. Uh, no, how yeah, you... it's all performative. It's all like, look, it's not, hey, this is right and wrong. It's like, hey, look at me do this good thing. And the Last of Us thing too. I know I interrupted you, but I think you were driving yeah. at the idea of this is a video game, right? <laughs> so, like, how is this helpful? Right, exactly. So, I, I think it's more of those like those people who like just want to like you know do the. Uh, play it for like the cutscenes or like listening to the cutscenes type thing but yeah oh sure i mean i've seen people i mean you see it on youtube all the time people stitching together cutscenes from video games and yeah. just calling it video game the movie and it's like oh right 
I mean, there's a lot of gameplay between those cutscenes, but okay. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. But in any case, the I, there was an interesting quote in here. There's several quotes in this, but the one that I found very interesting was this, and I think this is fascinating because um, I didn't even think about this. Quote: "I'm overweight. Am I supposed to announce that?" It feels awkward because I know that's the first thing many people notice about me. Is everyone else in the room just thinking, it's funny how she isn't saying the most obvious thing about herself. I feel embarrassed every time I've been asked to describe myself. That's a fascinating position. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. Right. Like, if you if you look like... If you look like you hit every stick on the way down <laughs> when you fell out of the ugly tree... And everyone knows it, and you know it. If you're self-aware at all, you know you know it. Are you like? Are you supposed to stand up there and list the flaws about yourself physically right. that you know everyone identifies you by? Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's also one of those things where it's like you know, uh, if like a blind person like asked me, and like if they if like they weren't born blind and they you know could I like connect like visual descriptions to like con- like concepts and stuff like that uh then i that, you know that'd be one thing if they were just asking you know how do you look like or you know something like that uh but the fact that they're doing it in a performative sense is just like oh you're just narcissists you're just doing this to like you know it's the hip new thing to do yes be cool. this is it's very much it's kind of similar to land acknowledgments that wasn't your discord. That was mine. It's very similar to land acknowledgements where it's like the, they, they go up and they do land. This happens a lot in Canada. It's very, very common in Canada. Mm-hmm. They'll go up. And if they're going to do a speech somewhere, it's like, this place is the, is, is the land of the, whatever tribe was there. And it's like, you realize, I mean, tribal migration happened. Like there's not, there's not really a spot that's going to belong to a single tribe forever. Like how far back do you want to go? I mean, there's no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's empty. It's an empty sort of performance that makes you seem like you care about things you don't care about. Right. And especially, yeah, that's the thing, right? Is that, and you see this with the left constantly, constantly, um, where, um, like you said, like, right. It's like, they'll, they'll talk about all these land acknowledgements, but the treatment of native Americans, uh, like through like within the federal government now, even now is awful yeah <laughs> like Absolutely. like so they're, they're like we're gonna honor these people and then tomorrow we're gonna go and we're going to like just pass some law or remove their you know their rights uh from their area it's right like, oh well this okay, was so a, you I don't mean, actually care you just want to make yourself you want to perform for the audience you want to perform for your audience how good of a person you are exactly that's what you're doing exactly and that's all you're doing yeah, yeah. Not a lot of people know this, but there was a recent Supreme Court opinion this last term yes. that walked back the uh, result of. Oh shit! I can't remember the case now. Was it? It wasn't. Uh, here, I'm just going to cut out the silence while I pull up the name. Okay, the original ruling was uh, McGirt v. Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and this was something. It, it was. Uh, it was written by Justice Gorsh, Gorsuch, however you want to pronounce his name. And it, uh, who is pretty much an expert on Indian law. This is a guy that, like, uh, as far as the relationship between U.S. law and Indian law, this is a, Mm -hmm. Justice Neil Gorsh knows more than anyone else has, like, this dude has forgotten more about that than anyone else knows. Like, seriously, he's, he is the, he is the guy on this. Um, He wrote McGirt, and what that effectively did was it reinforced the idea that the state 
and the native territory within that state are two separate systems of law. These are two yes. separate systems. They're not uh, the 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 like criminal proceedings and stuff like that that happen on on native land uh, or with regard to uh, Native Americans mm-hmm. are to be handled in federal courts, not state courts. And state law generally is, isn't going to apply. So this is right. a, that that's kind of all of that was sort of reinforced. And then in uh, that was in 2020. And then it, this last term, they walked that back. And he wrote a, an opinion about that. Oh, didn't man. He? His his <laughs> dissent is fucking gold, dude. It is so good. Gorsh's dissent in this opinion is amazing to me. But, um, again, like, this is the kind of thing. This happens in the courts. Shit like this happens in the courts all the time. And meanwhile, it's like, we're going to do a land acknowledgement for this university fucking, uh, uh, this university graduation speech. And it's like... How about you talk about the court case instead? Right. The shit that matters? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, That is like, you know, that's the thing about like liberals in general, like that I've seen from liberals, um, that it's just like, they're like a mile wide and an inch deep. Like it's all performative. No substance. Almost no substance ever. Zero substance whatsoever. whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's, it's just like. But it's very like similar. Again, type, it's any it's, type of trend where they can ride the wave and you know at, try to get you know rack up virtue points for them. That that's you know that's it's all that well in group social pressure. It's yes. it's it's exactly like the emperor having no clothes. It's that there's yeah. an in group social pressure that forces people. Like all you need is enough people to be saying, "Well, this helps the blind," and nobody right. goes, "How." Like, nobody goes, what do you mean? How how does this... What? They don't care. Nobody cares. Um, All you need is enough people to say, well, this helps the blind. And it's like, oh, well, it would be ableist of me to deny that fact. Right. That's the motivation behind all of this shit. All of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's incredibly... And it's always so narcissistic. Yeah. It's always so narcissistic. Yeah, from every time I've ever seen uh, like a le- like there's some genuine leftists like who on the people on the left who like genuinely do care about like important issues, but there's also filled with like um, and, and you know this is going to be the type of thing you see all the time where it's just like people who just have no actual information or knowledge on what they're talking about have uh, will often try to like be the most vocal about like what they what they see is like really important and like try to like promote things that they just have no idea what they're talking about exactly Um, and that's just that's just a common trend all the time i wonder how much of it is motivated by this feeling of just needing to do something whether it's to prove that you care or to to whatever for whatever reason just this weird motivation to do Mm -hmm. something you know what i mean yeah, uh, I I think that's probably true, right? I think it's probably this idea that well, it's probably a mix of well, well, we need to do something, um, or because you think it's some like moral outrage, and it might be, uh, or you have this idea that well, this is the, so this I'm you know social pressure. These are the the social norms I've I've grown up in, and therefore you know this is this is the ritualistic act I do to you know please my social group. Yeah, um, that type of thing. It's entirely uh, yeah. Think, yeah. And the right does this all the time, too. So I don't want to just like. No, it's not just that. But, but, but they, the thing about the right is that the right will jump on a thing 
and then ride that for a while and then forget about it in, in, in right. this weird way where it's like and it's mostly culture war shit they do this with yeah um but like they'll jump on something and they'll ride that horse for for as long as it lasts and then they get bored mm-hmm. of it and move on uh once something else happens um you, you saw this a lot with the pride month stuff you saw this with cuties mm-hmm. who's fucking talking about cuties still oh yeah i remember that yep fucking nobody and and, and i'm not to <laughs> not to uh not to oh yeah you're gonna of... get some people who are like oh my god i can't believe dino just defended cuties yeah right <laughs> i don't give a fuck about cute cuties is not even on my radar i haven't even right. thought about it enough to have an opinion but the 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 I, I i saw a lot of people did have an opinion and it's gone <laughs> now and the movie's still there like there's no <laughs> it's like what did you what did you do what did you accomplish? You cared about it for a while. You yelled, and now you've moved on to something else, right? And they all. This is a. This is part of being part of a political in group. I. Because I, I, I think everybody who's in an in group is probably. Uh, it falls into this to some extent. I don't act like anyone's impervious to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I see it. I, it's just really hard being in it. Like if you're like, let's say market anarchism, is there anything, is there anything that, that, that we do this with? I'm sure there is. I just can't think of an I'm example. Sure, yeah. I don't want to say no, because I'm sure I, because you know, I am, I'm sure there is. Um, I do think that anarchists, I, I so anarchists who are, are concerned about things relating to anarchism itself I think tend to be pretty good on this because they tend to like hit on the same points constantly. Right. They don't. Um, now there are, there are anarchists who do write cultural, like culture war trends, obviously, but they're not doing that, you know, qua anarchism. Do you know what I mean? Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I find, uh, I find like market anarchists tend to be like pretty open, pretty good on this. Um, not perfect, obviously. There, there's obviously. I, I don't think anyone's immune to it, right? So I think just being in a, being locked in a political space in a in a polity um, with the media, how it is, I think it's it's kind of inevitable that this type of stuff happens. But I think there's certain people who like really lean into it. Maybe and, that's because uh, that's, of that's, maybe that's because we're insulated from media to some extent. Again, I don't want to say we don't do it. I'm sure we do. And you can think of examples of like, but they always come back around. I mean, there's still people talking about Duncan Lemp. There's still people talking about, you know what I mean? Like they, they always seem to come back around. Um, and they they don't just get dropped. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, exactly. So like, like oftentimes like with the culture war stuff, what's indicative of the culture war is that there's always some new thing to be outraged about in it right and you know there's often you could say the same about the state too right where there's always some new thing to be outraged about um uh, in regards to the state but i feel like the market i'm going to give the market anarchists like a point here in saying that i think they're more consistent in their principles and they hold more fast to them whereas when i see culture war debates going on i see uh, both sides tripping over like positions they would have held like yeah you know what i mean yeah so there's this real like hypocrisy that always goes on um, yeah, and there's also I think the, the the one of the things too is that the concern of of for example some as people who are outside of the political mainstream like for I mean mm-hmm. for example uh, and this would go for uh, like hardcore um, Marxist communists as much as for like market anarchists and stuff is that your concerns 
if you're outside of the political mainstream, your concerns are more over overreaching. Oh, they're broader, I should say. Yeah. Than um, like a single instance or a single issue. Like right. it's they're they're um, I, I I hesitate to use the word the word systemic, but they are systemic concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, and not concerns necessarily about fucking cuties or whatever. Like the right. they're broad, very broad. And so yeah. maybe it's easier not to fall into something like that because I notice it less. But I don't know. There's got to be something. <clears throat> There's got to be some hobby horse yeah. that that market anarchists and stuff sure. will ride. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's how if it's broadness, because I, I, I feel like there's a lot on the right who will attempt, like whether you believe they're right or wrong, uh, who will attempt to create like this monocausal narrative where like everything in society is like due to this one factor or that it's all connected somehow, like everything they don't like is somehow connected, right, or related in some way. Um so they tend to have pretty broad, like like meta narratives almost. Yeah. Uh, I'm not I'm, I'm so does the left too a lot of times, but I'm, I'm so I, I see what you're saying, but I'm, I'm not sure if the broadness itself is like the prime factor. I, I think that it, much of a factor I, to I, it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it, 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 I think you could say like maybe the, uh, the anarchist uh, it's broad due to the fact of what their principles are. Um, well, even then, you know, I, I'm not. I don't know. I need to think more about that because I'm yeah, not, it's an I'm interesting not exactly thing. Sure. I, 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 I think part of it has to be uh, insulation from media. I think that's a big one. Yeah, but but there's also again, there has to be some kind of hobby horse, and I don't really see it. But it's something that that anarchists will get real concerned about and then drop overnight and then never talk about it again. There has to be something. I just can't think of an example at the moment. Um, yeah. If you have any of those examples, please, uh, yeah, please come forward with them because that's uh, that's an interesting thought. I just can't, I, I can't really come up with anything, not offhand anyway. Um, have you been uh, how how active or not you necessarily? How active has your friend been, who I assume like talks to you about Twitter and stuff like <laughs> sure. that? Sure. Um, how how active has he been on Twitter recently? Uh, like uh, over the past few days, relatively because of the, uh, because of the fact that, um, my friend's girlfriend has been taking a, a mm-hmm. an all day test for the past couple of days. So there's mm-hmm. really nothing else to do. Um, okay. so yeah. relatively, uh, what about it? What's the, no, I, I just like, I, I'm sure in this office, it goes back like much farther than like, uh, um, like the past few days or anything it's been going on for a long time but i'm always like weirded out a little bit I and mean, i i think i have an idea why but there's there's a lot of libertarians who have become cops in the we talked about this before who have been like become like cops or like you know just republicans or conservatives yeah uh, in the past past bit um it's always weird to me when i see it in the wild whereas like i because i you know Obviously, my perspective is not their perspective, but I'm always curious when I see this type of thing, this type of behavior where like, okay, you used to believe in, you know, individual liberty used to believe, uh, you know, that people had a right not to to, or a right to be free from aggression. I'm always wondering, like, what the person's breaking point was. Like, when did you decide? No, actually, it is okay to violently aggress people. You know, people. <laughs> I've thought about this um, for a and, long time, and I think it goes back to COVID. I, I think it, I think it goes back to COVID being a living example or an example through mm-hmm. which people lived 
of of the fact that the state is a violent entity that can fuck up your whole life. Like right. I, 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 think- I think I think it was okay. So I agree with that. I, I think more so what a lot of I, I'm not sure it's completely COVID, but I, I agree with you. COVID was a big part of it. Um, I, I think a, a large part of it was to realize that their neighbors supported their imprisonment. Yes. yes. I think that is probably a big one. Um, the fact that like uh, your your neighbor or something probably like advocated for online maybe um, that you be or even their voting your habits or your business or your business be shut down right or something like that yeah so yeah. I think that's probably it um, I, I think there's also some like right wing cultural thing um, to it too because a lot of the types of people like I see who become like who stop being libertarians and become like. Uh, um, you know, a, a republic or, or some like, you know, NRX or, or something like that. Something who, someone who is just not opposed to um, initiatory violence anymore. Sure. Um, a lot of times from what I see, they always tend to go into the, and I'm not saying this is, I'm not saying they never go left, but a lot of times I see they tend to focus on, you know, um, a very traditional culture or a right wing culture. Yeah, that's, there's that's a trad sort thing. of, uh, it's like yes, conservative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of a conservatism that is um, a cultural conservatism. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's unquestioning to a certain extent, like where there's at least I've done. And again, OK, I want to say a couple of things because I do I do find this topic interesting and I have been thinking about it a lot. Um, I don't for one, I don't have a problem with people changing their philosophies over time. Um, oh, yeah. People, uh, yeah, I agree. people will learn things and figure out they were wrong about stuff and all kinds of things. It's, there's nothing wrong with Agreed. changing your philosophy over time. Um, I think there should be a reason for it, but I, I yes. get it. Uh, it's fine. The, the other thing, too, is um, uh, it's not all of them. There's, 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 there's degrees to which this occurred. Absolutely. You saw this a little bit with, uh, for example, Dave Smith talking about mm-hmm. uh, the cops in the park. Or, uh, or mm-hmm. the homeless people in the park and right. getting the homeless people out of the park using the cops to get the homeless people out of the park. Um, and it's like, I don't, I, I can't, but at the same time though, he hasn't gone full like right wing guy. Right. You know what I mean? There's absolutely, there's absolutely degrees to it. Um, so my theory, and I'm not, I don't, I can't speak for all of them obviously, but I, of I've course, had we're, we're speaking in that, generalities. Yes. So there's certain, um, like, obviously, you know, the type I think that are most persuadable to this type of thing or persuadable to become like just conservatives or like trad types um, are, are and by trad types. I mean, the types who want to enforce their tradition, like the, what they see as traditional values on you, those types right, of people. Right, right, From what I've seen from the, like, the, the paleo libertarians are the people most susceptible to that because they're the people, like, closest to the pipeline in some yes. sense, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Well, they, they uh, already had, these are people yes. who already kind of maintained a very conservative outlook, um, even if only privately, uh, yeah. where where the, the um, there's, I don't know, it's hard for me to explain because I consider myself to be a relatively conservative guy. Um, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm pretty conservative. I'm, I'm, I'm a, f- <laughs> for, I mean, not to sound political, I'm like a family values guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> to an extreme degree. <laughs> so I, I, a, I, I don't yeah. know. It's difficult. I, I think so. 
for from this is just my theory my analysis of it right um and I, i'm not trying to like but to be clear i'm not if you consider yourself a paleo libertarian like anyone listening that is perfectly fine i i'm not like trying to like attack your beliefs at all i'm just trying to like point out what i see as like an interesting an interesting anecdote it's a phenomenon um, it's it's a phenomenon yeah. that's occurred which so I this is my theory, right? The, to the to the ones who became like kind of like cops or like politically motivated, who were like, okay, I'm not a libertarian anymore. I do want to like initiate violence on certain groups of people. Um, to me, what this is kind of my theory, my running theory, right? So a lot of like paleo libertarian types got introduced through Hoppe. Hoppe was kind of their gateway drug into libertarianism and Hopper promoted this idea. And it's an idea that I've disagreed with. And I think out of all of like the paleo libertarian beliefs or predictions, I should say, I think this is the one I disagree with most. So the paleo libertarians tend to believe that without the state, um, an anarchist society would tend to go right wing. It would tend to have this right wing culture. And the reason they believe this has to do with time preference, right? So obviously, when you're in a, in a state with a money supply like the Federal Reserve, constantly devaluing the money, you're not going to be saving for the future. And because of that, um, because the, the value of your dollar go like throughout time is going to decrease. So the best time to spend money is right now when your dollar has the most sure. value, right? So they say this, lead, this leads to often degenerate um uh social norms where people just spend for now like they pursue instant gratification things like that and they don't like save money to like build a family the the idea like the idea and, that the state is instrument is uh, instrumental to um creating uh incentives for high time preference thinking i mm-hmm. I, I would agree with that i i, I, I agree I would, with that no i agree yeah yeah i agree with that part um I, my disagreement comes in the form of I don't think that that is going to eliminate the problem they see. So I think that's one factor. You could say that's a factor in high time preference behavior or what they would regard as, well, ultimately they, they don't want to see like degenerate behavior. Like they, um, they would oppose like, um, and I'm speaking generalities, right? So if you're a paleo libertarian and this doesn't sound like what you're saying, I'm not talking about you. Sure. Um, yeah, exactly. But, if you don't identify uh, with this, it's not you, obviously. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the times when I've talked to them, it seems to be, you know, they, they opposed, you know, um, certain things they would regard as degenerate, like drug use, alcohol, you know, you think of it, you, you name it, it's something in that vein. Um, and they think that, well, with the money supply, on a more firm foundation, this will give people more incentive to save over time. And I, I completely agree with that. With that being said, I think a free, a completely free market in an anarchist society is going to ultimately over time, as capital becomes more incorporated into like the, the structures of production, you're going to get more leisure time, right? And we see this all, all the time happening in, in many industries where more things become capital induced, like very capital heavy, uh, like with machinery, technology, uh, computers, you know, you name it. Uh, this often reduces workload a lot of time mm-hmm. or it makes your work more efficient. And this tends, in my view, it would tend to lead towards people having more leisure time. And it would also have tend to people being more wealthy. Now, it's true that people now have the option of saving because obviously their you know, money's not being inflated. But I don't think that ensures what the paleo-libertarians believe it does ensure, which is that it would tend to 
go right wing, a right wing, right wing in a traditionalist sense that they want it. Sure. Um, I have, I'm very skeptical of that claim. Um, and I, I think, I, I, I mean, I, I, I would be skeptical of that as well. It seems to me that you have to, you have to consider social realities and so, and, and, and there's a, also, what type of person they are? Because, like, this, giving one person a hundred dollars and giving another person a hundred dollars, even if the money is sound, it doesn't necessarily ensure what that person's going to spend the money on. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, people, people um, are capable of making bad decisions. I mean, it's not a, that's not a secret. Yeah. So when when they like yeah they in the sense that people will have to support themselves in an anarchist society to some extent they can't rely on the government to do it that doesn't ensure that they won't spend their money or have money allocated uh for leisure time for degenerate quote-unquote degenerate activities right sure so i think from what i've seen this is so i i've kind of like been peering in like you know through the looking glass here at some of these like um uh, more trad types and and from what i've seen I think a lot of them realize that. I think a lot of them realize that their cultural, their culture that they thought would have been more assured in an anarchist society kind of isn't. Yeah. Right. So, and I think once they realize that, I think to them, their, their cultural like destination, I think they view it as more important than the like anarchist means. Than the norms. The the, yes, the, the end, sort yes. of the, the, the normative positions that anarchists take yes. are not necessarily going to uh, meet their ends. That That's makes right. that makes a lot of sense. I, I I do think I'm thinking about it. Like look, I I recognize the same thing that I saw people recognizing during COVID. Um, I've said numerous times, I don't know if I've said it on, on, on this show, but I've, I've said numerous times, uh, in conversations with people, including yourself, that th- there was no, there has been no time at which I have more clearly seen the bars of, of the prison that is the stated yeah. society than mm-hmm. during COVID. Um, yeah. the, the bars became more clear to me than they ever have been. And, right. and that sort of. That honestly, but what it did to me though was it didn't it didn't shift my view toward well I want a state to do things I want because I I recognize that as an impossibility. But what what it did to me was it made me want to leave um, the kinds of places where that sort of thing would be accepted. It, it, right. I, I would rather uh, my girlfriend and I have had a joke for a long time about moving to a place called Sapphire Bluff as opposed to Ruby Ridge. <laughs> and <laughs> we would like to good. we would like to live in Sapphire Bluff. This is a place yeah. that is that is uh relatively rural. We're away from people. We can live our lives yeah. the way we want and if we need to commute into a a more metro area in order to work, we can do that. But uh the the getting the fuck out of the city and moving to Sapphire Bluff beca- began as a joke. Post COVID, it's a goal. It's yeah, a no, it's a legitimate really. goal, but yeah. it, it, it's it's because of those same things that I noticed that that I think uh, these individuals about about whom we're discussing um, they also noticed these things, and it made them rather than uh, trying to increase the amount of personal authority they had in their own life. Um, whether that meant leaving or doing whatever, uh, th- they have instead decided that um, 
that using the authority of the state, using uh, violence of the state to enforce those norms on a larger scale is the answer. Right. Yeah. And going back to what we were saying, I I think a, a breaking point for a lot of them was this idea that it's not just the state who's doing this. It's your neighbor. Right? Yes. Your neighbor is like facilitating this. They're justifying it, um, that that type of behavior. So I, I feel like that was also like a really big breaking point. Because oftentimes, you know, um, when when people are it, 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 like when people are being like ruled or oppressed in some way, there is some like social phenomenon where people are more able to endure it if like everyone else in the society is on the same page. But when they're not. Um, and everyone like you have um, you're a minority in some sense, in a very real sense that uh, you're being oppressed. And not only do do people not care, uh, they, they support it. Yeah, uh, they, they support cheer it on. Oppression. It really can like do some really bad mental things to you. Um, so like I I can understand how someone could have that reaction, but I think it's like the wrong reaction. Oh, sure. Uh, logic. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would agree. I think it's focusing in the wrong direction. Continue, though. I interrupted. Oh, no, no, no. That was basically my I was just capping my point off there pretty much. But I, but yeah, basically, like it is. You said, right. It's like you're you. Camus has this really great quote where it's like, you know, the slave begins by wishing for freedom and then ends by wearing a crown, uh, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like, you know, you 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 want freedom. And then when you don't get it you then try to like lobby to oppress the people you believe are your oppressors, but yeah. really they're just, you know, your neighbors. They're <laughs> just know? other guys. Like, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that uh, people, uh, it, it, I think there is a danger and, and, and I don't want to say that here's the thing. The, uh, uh, let me organize this in my view, the observations that were made by these individuals are correct observations. Um, the, the, the people around you, your neighbors are ultimately, if they need to strap on Jack boots for the regime, they will, because they don't think like you think. Um, the, uh, answer though, to that problem to me does not become, um, using, uh, what I believe to be categorically unethical violence on them. The, yeah. the the answer then is to insulate yourself somehow, whatever that means, whether that means arming yourself, whether that means whatever that means, um, is to create a a safety mechanism for you in that situation. Um, right. Because ultimately, if an, if there's enough social pressure applied, your neighbors will always strap on jackboots against you. It just depends on who right. on who you are. You know right. what I mean. So yeah. it's I don't see that as something that can be avoided. To me, that's that's just a reality of a, of, a, of living in a social situation. Right. We live in a society, and that's part yeah, of the reality right. of living yeah. in a society is that your neighbors can be, can be convinced to kill you. Like yeah. that's that's always a danger. Yeah, it, but I, I do think there is a, a flip side to that too, though. Whereas, like, if you're if you can uh, attain a, a, like a a social status within your community. Um, I think there, I think when people, so oftentimes, right, this is obviously another allegory, but like oftentimes uh, when people like condone massive amounts of evil, it's usually not from their own hand, right? It's usually uh, from by proxy, by multiple levels of proxy, right? So 
we talk about like the division of labor, how like um, production becomes more uh, like uh, effective um, or productive when the we divide the um, the means of producing the certain good through multiple levels, right? Multiple layers upon mm-hmm. layers uh, until we reach the eventual outcome of it. Um, now, this also produces, while this produ- is more efficient, it also produces um, a feeling of less responsibility for the completed whole, right? Uh, so, you, like, if you're a worker making a cog, necessarily, you're not going to feel like you built the car. Um, you feel like you built the cog, you know? Right, I mean? exactly. Um, but this also works the other way in terms of morality. Uh, when you have a division of bad, <laughs> um, People are more likely; they're going to be more efficient in like um, compositing the entire end goal or end end state of whatever this bad thing is. But each one of them is not going to feel morally responsible for doing it. Sure. Um, so oftentimes, uh, so oftentimes, like what tends to work uh, from what I, I've seen is that. If you're, if you can be a, like a high status individual within your community and people like respect you and you're active in your community and things like that, and you ask a person, do you think I should have violence initiated against me? Almost everyone will say no, or they'll back down. Right? Most people um, would say those. that even if you're not a high status, even if you're just, yes, if you're even out if you're, here, yeah. you know, to, to, I, but to sort status, of, I didn't mean like wealthy or anything like that. Right. I sure. just meant like you're, but I see what you're saying. Like even just a normal person. Yeah. Regular maybe, yeah. Uh, to, to, <laughs> to mirror Jim Norton's character, regular Joe, if you're regular <laughs> Joe, eh, what do I know? You know what I mean? If you're that, if you're, if you're that guy who just kind of exists, um, if you ask people personally, Hey, should people, uh, kill me? Should people threaten to kill me? Uh, the answer is going to be no. Yeah. Yep. I, I think you're absolutely it, correct. Yeah, so politics is the means by which normally good people um, are incentivized to do very terrible things. Mm-hmm. So the, the more you can bring that down to the local level and direct their like direct their gaze at you and say, look me in the eye, do you think cops should like throw me in a cage or kill me? And as you said, most people generally, when put in that position will say no. Um, yeah. And I, and, it, but it has to be personal like that. And that's one of the, that's it one of the, it can't be online. It has to be, it almost has to be face to face or like, you know, yeah, it has to be face to face to right. be the most effective. Well, I think that's one of the issues, you know, people talk a lot about the, the negative consequences of things like social media and, and stuff like that. Mm. I think that's one of them is that you, everyone on the internet is a dog and this has yeah. benefits and this has drawbacks. And one of the drawbacks is you fail to see people on the internet as human beings. Um, yes. you, 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 for, you forget or, 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 or refuse to, and honestly, it's, it's impossible to blame. Cause no, cause again, everyone on the internet's a dog. I mean, that's, that's uh-huh. real. That's a true statement. They, that you fail to see them as human beings and they just become an avatar of whatever ideology you hate exactly. at any given time. And then it's like, ah, yes, <laughs> the, the, the match I've been waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that mixes with a lot of the things that have been, you know, have been talked about ad nauseum things like, uh, people will just invent someone that they hate and then mold that yep. to whoever is, is arguing against them. Yes. Again, yeah. it was, why do you, why do you not care about kids dying? That kind of thing. Yeah, 90% of Twitter is just people inventing other people to hate and then uh, associating that uh, position onto someone you don't right. like. 
Exactly. But it's one of those really things crazy. that I do, I do to, to sort of circle back to your initial question. I, I have seen a lot of that where there are people who would have been right libertarians, um, at least to some extent, uh, to speak in general terms, um, <clears throat> have post COVID again, I, I really link it to COVID, uh, have, have, have post COVID sort of shifted to being more, uh, statist conservatives, uh, sort of mainline conservatives in a, in a way that's, uh, uh, I, I will say disappointing, I, but not surprising. You know what I mean? I think COVID was the tipping point, but I don't think it was the like initial catalyst. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like, uh, well, the the issue has to lie deeper than that. Um, I, I just yeah. think what COVID did was kind of put it into view, like really like, force it. Yeah. Like you had, um, you had people like, I don't know if you know who Christopher Cantwell is. Um, he started out as kind of like this right wing conservative type, kind of like in, in the Hoppian space. And he like, out and out became like a white nationalist like self-described uh you know so you and then he like got arrested he was at charlottesville and then he got arrested um but yeah uh you know there's people like that who it's just like there's a certain p and look i'm not saying this is just the right there's a certain left libertarians who also do this where they prioritize whatever cultural outcome they want that is not necessary for libertarianism. They prioritize that cultural outcome above libertarianism or anarchism. And then whenever they see their cultural, um, like, uh, like ground loot, whenever they're losing cultural ground, uh, they begin to like, look for other means other than like anarchist norms. Right. Um, to like, uh, it's know, it, interestingly, it, it kind of ties in with the Mises caucus stuff and what happened in libertarian party. Now, when, when you and I say libertarian, we're, we're saying mm-hmm. it with a small L we're talking about the general philosophical yes. view, not the party. Um, but the, 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 the interesting sort of thing that happened with the Libertarian Party where the, the Mises caucus ended up sort of taking over the party and, mm-hmm. um, which I think is ultimately a good thing, but immediately, <clears throat> and I saw this happening as it was happening and I'm like, this is not, uh, this is how this is going to go down. Mm-hmm. And I told my girlfriend this too. Um, the, the way that that went down it seemed to me there were a lot of Mises caucus guys who were sort of uh, conservatives in libertarian clothing, if you will. Yeah, um, yes. Very statist conservatives in libertarian clothing, um, which is whatever. Fine. I mean, there's very little definition to political parties anyway, so who gives a fuck? But one of the things that I told my girlfriend was those guys aren't going to win. Yeah, because no. and and you saw this happen immediately when I think it was Spike and uh, the woman who was elected chair when they replaced that part of the uh, that there was one plank in the in the platform that talked about racism uh, being ab- uh, yeah bigotry and racism thing being abhorrent to yeah. libertarianism as an ideology and they replaced it with libertarians Whoa. care about the rights of everyone. Oh right, they removed the we must be anti racist. And replaced it with, we care about everyone's rights. Right. Right? That was basically what happened. When, when I saw well, that happen, I told my girlfriend, I was like, These, the, the guys who wanted that taken out and not replaced with something to that effect, they, they're going to lose this. Yeah. What were you saying? I'm sorry. The, no, they, um, that was an interesting thing, right? So the justification for that, from what I understand, is they're saying, well, it's so ill-defined, 
Um, you know, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So it's better just to remove it. And it's not foundational to libertarianism. Um, right. It's like, okay, if they're taking that tag, I can at least see, I can understand where they're coming from. Yeah. Uh, but then, um, I saw that the, apparently they replaced, uh, like in one of their planks, they talk about like how they oppose woke ideology. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you're just doing the thing in reverse and you're using justifications. Like, like if you want to say, well, okay, bigotry isn't like foundational to libertarian. Like libertarianism is a thin philosophy. doesn't say anything about bigotry. Okay. You're correct in that, but it also doesn't say anything about woke ideology. Yeah, either. exactly. So it's like, you're kind of, you're kind of like, you know, like going the other direction. <laughs> and, but it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. But there's a, that's, but that's the thing they, they, and it seems to have come out that way. It seems like the more sort of um, the conservatives in in libertarian clothing have kind of lost in this tr- in this trade, where it's mm-hmm. it's honestly I think the LP is more libertarian now than it's been in a very long time. Um, with with kind of the changes that have happened, because everyone was very scared of the worst elements of the Mises Caucus, and I had told my girlfriend I said that's not they're not going to be in power. The 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 most um <clears throat> just for lack of a better term regressive elements of the Mises caucus are not going to be the ones in, in charge uh it's just not going to happen and i i believe i've been vindicated over time it kind of seems like that's what happened um which i'm okay with because it was a waste of time for the lp and again i don't want to be giving the lp advice but it was right. it was a waste of time for them to do that whole anti-racist thing and trying to get the social justice left on their side it's you're that's not they're not your people stop it you know what i mean mm-hmm. i i think yeah i i think so for me i'm kind of like in the middle here where like uh i'm a dirty centrist um i i think like <laughs> There's there's a certain type of person who sees the so who sees like the the pandering like like the social justice pandering type thing and like rolls their eyes at it and then there's another who is like no I'm going to act racist on the internet yeah, <laughs> uh, that right. type yeah uh, and, and I feel like I, I I feel like you know the I'm going to act racist on the internet types like. The, it's like dude that's one that's just not a winning strategy like i don't like i don't know what you're thinking i know you it's like you want to be edgy type thing but it's like that's just not going to like uh win you anything politically and it's no. going to make you like n- most people are not going to want to associate with you if you you don't do that type of yeah thing. so like uh those types of people i don't see how it's going to be like i don't see how it's going to work out well for them uh politically speaking it's just like it know, doesn't it, it, yeah. it won't and it hasn't it hasn't right. the the that element didn't end up in charge and it's i mean that's fine i don't care but the the, the i i i'm <clears throat> it's 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 difficult to try and organize these thoughts but i think it i think it kind of goes back to that idea of like your the pendulum swings are mm-hmm. uh <clears throat> the pendulum swings have become something else in recent i think post covid i don't know history didn't begin with covid maybe it goes back farther but um, maybe it's like a post-Obama thing. But but the pendulum swings seem to be more cultural now than political. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. 100%. Because nobody's talking about inflation. 
You know what I mean? Right. Like you got you got all these you got all the the conservatives, right? And they're concerned about a lot of shit, and none of it's the money. Right. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I mean, again, talk about high time preference. You're worried about about all this stuff that's not the fucking money, (laughs) right? The fucking economy, right? The 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 thing that puts food on your table. You're not even thinking about. That's that's so far out of your. I I don't. I don't understand it. I I truly don't understand the preoccupation with culture, especially when everything else is falling apart. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, you know, I, I, I kind of hate the phrase, but I guess it's accurate. It's rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. It's, it's, yeah. you're not going to accomplish anything. Right. <laughs> I don't understand this. And I, and I get it that culture matters. I understand. Right. Uh, yeah. And a lot it does. Of come out with that critique that it's like, well, libertarian. So oftentimes, like, at least, like, from a right wing perspective, it's like the right, in my general perspective, seems to be the one who always throws it around the cultural critique of like, Oh, well, libertarians are like, they just don't care about culture, but they often, I often seen that thrown around when it's, it's not that I don't care about culture. It's that I just don't necessarily have your cultural beliefs. Uh, right. And then they, they try to twist that into thinking, Oh, so you just don't care about culture. Right. So it's like, Oh, okay. I see, I see how this is going. Right. Well, it's, it's an interesting thing. I've always, again, and, and this is what I was really thinking about after COVID and after realizing that my neighbors would happily kill me. Um, <laughs> the culture is your responsibility. Right. It's, it, the, the culture, the, the culture in which your kids are raised, the culture in which all of that's on you. You can't yeah. offload that to other people because again, as you've just realized, those people would happily kill you. A lot of people look at culture as if it's like this amorphous like power or like force that compels people to act in certain ways. But all culture is is like it's it's this ritualistic um, thing where pe- it's like a collection of rituals and habits. Uh, it's like a mimetic reciprocity type mm-hmm. thing, right? Where it's like you know uh, a monkey see monkey do thing, where it's like uh, you know uh, people are going to orient their lives around a certain way of doing something, and then other people who agree with that or like it are going to copy it. And then they're going to instill these beliefs in their children. And it's going to, you know, that's, that's how cultures grow and stuff like that. Right. There's no actual, like, you know, it's not, culture isn't out there somewhere, you know, like floating, uh, you know, or something like that. Exactly. It's, it's like, no, you are taking part in it or not whenever you choose or not to choose to reciprocate it. So it's like, exactly. That's uh, the thing too. It's like, again, and I'll, I'll say this a million times and people, I mean, there are people who straight up do not believe me when I say this, mm-hmm. but I am a pretty conservative guy. It's like, I, I find entertainment in things that other people would be like, well, that's degenerate fucking anime or whatever. But mm-hmm. all in all, as far as when it comes down to family values and, and things like two parent households, which I think undeniably have better outcomes for kids. Like those things, those are opinions that I hold and intend to enact in my life, but I intend to enact them in my life it's right. not anyone else's responsibility to, to ensure that I do right and, and frankly if anyone took it upon themselves to ensure that I do and elected to do this through any means other than yelling at me which I'm fine with uh, I'm killing them yeah, right like you don't, you don't get to do that right yeah 
<laughs> I mean, and, and I'd be justified in doing so. There's no, you don't get to use violence on me to tell me what culture, what cultural norms I should value. And the funny thing is, they're very similar to yours. <laughs> <laughs> they're very I'm, I'm incredibly conservative <laughs> I just don't think it's okay to kill people over it that's the only difference whenever I hear someone like talking about like the culture and they're talking about it in a way where it's like like you know when you talk about the culture it's it's always like okay are, are you doing anything in your daily life not to reciprocate or change it? Oh, no? Okay, so you're just complaining about yeah, it. Yeah, you're just bitching. Right. Well, you, this is one of the... you, you can at least not play into it. Um, and oftentimes I say, like, you know what I mean? It's kind of yeah. like the whole thing is like, uh, and this isn't a completely fair analogy because obviously there are laws around this. Um, but oftentimes, you know, uh, conservative parents will send their children to public school, but not they'll do it happily uh, oftentimes. Yeah. And it's yeah. like... <laughs> And have it's no like, focus oh. on have no no focus on undoing damage that was done there. Like there was yeah. a there was a time that um how, how, I don't want to say too much. There was a time that um my a sibling of mine was sent to a school which had an ideological position that my parents disagreed with, and um it, it, it was just the easiest thing to do at that time. Uh, it was the only real way that that. Uh, that my sibling was going to be uh, educated in any way that was uh, good at all, um, it, it had to be done, right? It had to be done from a financial position. From a, mm-hmm. had to be done. Yeah. So, what my parents did was they took an active role in that. My as soon as my uh, sibling got home, it was what what was talked about, what went on, what was said how let's undo some of this fucking damage you know what i mean mm-hmm. um right. and and that that's what you have to they did it with me too in public school i was in public school all my life they did it with me too um and 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 just conversing about what it was that these supposed authorities said and why they were wrong um mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's but, but you have to have that kind of active role in order to combat that if you yeah. and that's that's if if you you there is no other means like that's kind of a last right. resort type thing. Overall, right. making sure that you and and people whom you trust are educating your kid is the goal, right? Like that's the ideal. Right. Um, yeah. But you're right. These conservative generally, there's a there's sort of a conservative outlook where it's they send the kids to school and it's a it's the respect for authority inherent to conservatism fighting with the yes. desire to. Uh, f- uh, uh, move against the regime. So right. you have to respect the authority and do what your teacher says and listen to the school cop. Your teacher said that? Holy shit, I can't believe it. And it's, it's, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's I can't believe the lion bit my face off. Exactly. <laughs> that is exactly what it is. <laughs> and people are, in, people are in a tough spot. I recognize that too. There are people who are in yeah. a very tough spot. They can't yeah, I don't mean afford to, say, to educate their own kids. I don't mean to be one of these like dismissive people that says, oh, well, you should obviously, you know, just uh, homeschool them or you should obviously send them into private school because a lot of people can't. And I, you know, yeah. I understand that some a lot of people are in like a very tough situation there. Um, but it, but certainly there's uh, 
there's I'm more talking about the conservatives who like gleefully send their children mm-hmm. to public school right. and then complain and then keep gleefully sending them to public school. Yeah. When you when you have every opportunity to not do that. Yeah. Like that's yeah, it's 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 deeply uh, well, it's hilarious on the one hand, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I, I again, I, all I was convinced of when I realized that my neighbors would happily kill me. All I was convinced of was that I needed to build my own life away from that right. danger. And and whether that means it certainly means leaving the city. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something I've wanted to do anyway. So that's fine. Um, yeah. But it means it, it means protecting myself and 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 my my people. It means protecting my people <laughs> um, in a way that is um, self-reliant. Because I can't depend right. again. You can't depend on your neighbors to do it for you. And d- uh, depending on politics is depending on your neighbors to do it for you. Because if they don't vote right. with yeah. you, it's you you lose. You, you know the whole thing about like voice or exit type thing, and you have voice exit, and then you have you know politics and here you know. Uh, so you like you can try to convince your community uh, that what they're doing or going along with is wrong, um, or you can go the political route and try to enforce your belief uh, politically. And you know, like maybe if you're very uh, vindictive or um, have hard feelings about it, you might try to punch the people who supported your. Uh, or were like gleeful about your um, imprisonment or something like that. So this COVID, you could try to punish them or something like that. But the problem with that, of course, is that that's only going to um, make attacks against you in the future uh, more politically right. advantageous. Yep. Uh, so you're just kind of putting a target on your back whenever you do that. Um, so really, um, it's, it's underrated, and it's not. It's not one of those things where I, you know, we're ne- neither of us are saying, "Oh, if you don't like it, leave." You know, we're not trying to just give justification to the state or hand wave it away. Oh, no, but it course. is one of those things where it's like, if you want to be free, you should. Um, if you care about that, you you might want to look into avenues where you can escape. Even if that's not physically, even if geographically right. you stay in the same spot, you should look for means to disconnect yourself from the Leviathan as best as you can. Yeah, you have to um, you try and build it yourself. Try and build your yeah. own freedom first. Uh, don't yeah. depend on other people to do it for you. Uh, this is one yeah. of the reasons that I hold, um, and I don't, I don't know your position, but uh, and I didn't really follow this to see how it ended. So I'm just saying from from what I know of this. Um, I hold Patrick McFarlane in relatively high ex- high esteem. I shouldn't say relatively. I like the guy. Uh, but I yeah. also hold him in high esteem because he was very active in his locality when it came to uh, the... Yes. Uh, all the COVID okay. stuff. Yeah. Incredibly active. Uh, yeah. and, and he, as I understand it, accomplished quite a lot um, yeah. in doing so. And it's like, I mean, that's... Yeah, do that. Because it was local. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't out there trying to convince the federal government to change his mind on shit. Right. It was it was entirely local action that he did, and yeah, he he had to utilize the uh, <laughs> the uh, town council and things of that nature. But uh-huh. it's one of those things where I mean, that's what's effective. Yeah. Because again, you're, if you're if the concern is that your neighbors would happily kill you, I mean, deal with your neighbors. That's who's there. Right. And oftentimes, it you know, it, I think it could be more effective. Um, being like um, socially persuadable 
to people like in your within your local ge- uh, geography. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the reasons for that is that oftentimes um, a critique of you know the exit strategy is this idea of Waco, right, or Ruby Ridge, which are good counter examples. Right. But I well, think I, I mean I just said problem, I want to go to I want to go to Sapphire Bluff. I mean that's what I want to do. Right. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, so that can definitely happen. But I think one of the problems is that uh, when they do happen, they're still fairly rare when they make a big show out of it type thing. You know what I mean? Like Ruby right. Ridge and um, um, those are very yeah. rare in in in, con- in comparison. But um, another example is also that um, if you had like Waco, the problem with w- Waco is that a lot of people thought they were weird already and they didn't want to be seen defending the right Davidians, well right. the cult so the cult. they didn't want to be cult. seen as being on the side yeah. of a cult which is exactly. understandable but yeah so because they had such low like uh, social credibility except for the sheriff who like was actually like one of the only people who like i think defended the davidians or mm-hmm. like the people they like directly knew um the uh uh most people in that surrounding area just did not want to go to bat for him so it, it's very important if you're you know, uh, care about liberty that people within your local community at least like you enough to see that when the, if the feds start rolling, you know, uh, uh, high armored vehicles down the street to go collect you, that maybe just maybe someone will speak out on your behalf. Yeah. Someone will say, wait a minute, that's uh, a good guy. What, what are you, what are you doing that for? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So that's, and, and that's important because oftentimes if, if the, if the state feels like something is uh, they should do something, but it's just not socially advantageous for them to do, like they're going to suffer a big like loss in social capital for it. They oftentimes will maybe think twice about it. Well, that also circles Um, back to what we were talking about the media. If you remember the media's role in Waco was, was massive. It was, uh, I mean, uh, there's the video that exists of, of them hanging the banner outside of the compound that says, uh, God help us. We need the press. And yes. the and the, the the press standing there and saying, "God help us, we are the press." <laughs> and it's like, "Oh my God!" Yeah, like they they, yeah. they were full on defending every act that was taking place there um, yeah. against these people. I mean, yeah, and, and I mean, look at uh, Ross Ulbricht. When, when most people, if they know about Ross Ulbricht, the first thing that comes to mind is, "Oh, the guy that hired Hitman." Exactly. Right? Never that's, charged that's with what it. they hear. So never, yeah, it never, did not that did yeah. not go to trial. That was was he, did he not go to trial. Was he ever actually charged with it? And then they uh, dropped the, the charge. It was brought up. Yeah, it, it, it was charged and then but it never went to trial. Um but they it, dropped it was dropped. It, they they did it so that he could not get bail. Okay. They had to they yes. had to hit him with something violent in order to make sure he stayed yes. in jail. That's right. So they they denied him bail because of that and but that never but that charge never went to trial. He was never charged on it whatsoever. At it was trial. dropped. And, and it was probably fact, dropped fact, because there's later. no evidence that he ran the account yeah, at the time. Correct. Correct. And and not only that, but uh, it was dismissed with prejudice in a Maryland court, I believe. Okay. Um, so they couldn't so bring it back. It could never yeah. be brought up again. Yeah. yeah. Uh yeah. But the fact is that the media has now painted him as the guy that hired Hitman. So whenever someone brings up Ross Ulbricht, that's the first thing people think. And mm-hmm. it's just like, okay, this is just, that's how powerful the media is. And that's why uh, it's a scary thing. And that's why, you know, if you are in a, if you are in a local community, try your damnedest to uh, know your neighbors and, you know, have good relations with them. Again, that's the thing. I think, I think, I think uh, again, Patrick McFarland did it right. And he yeah. did it right when a lot of people did it wrong, in my opinion. Um, yeah. And it was, it, he, he, 
uh, I'm, again, I hold him in very high esteem. I, I, I like yeah. the guy personally. I've spoken with him. I've been on he's the show. He's a great guy, yeah. Um, he's, he's great. Um, <clears throat> he helped me when I was going to law school and stuff. He, he, he assisted me. Um, but uh, even outside of that, just the way that he responded um, to the, the COVID stuff, the way that he responded to all that is, I think, is aspirational in my view. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. So uh, listen to his yeah, show. It's great. Like, you don't listen yeah. to Patrick McFarlane's show. Listen to it. It's uh, Liberty Weekly. It's yeah. Very, it's very really good. good. It's really good. I, uh, he had a, uh, I, I don't want to get the name wrong. I think he did a, a podcast about like uh, why Johnny can't kill. I think that was the title. Um, and it, it's talking about like how uh, all he's talking about all these soldiers uh, in war in combat scenarios who just refused to actually fire or they intentionally missed. Um, when they were in combat scenarios, he's trying to like uh, um, attack this idea that, well, in wartime, we're inherently brutally violent. Um, yes. And it was a really great series um, that he did on that. It was really, really good. And he brought a lot of like psychological evidence and stuff like that for why like this narrative that, well, we're a warlike species is just kind of like um, a fabrication. It doesn't um, work. It's not I mean, it's not it, true. It's not a... that, it, obviously humans have gone to war. Uh, I shouldn't need to say that. Right. Uh, so it's obviously people do go to war, but this sense that there is an inherent in, in humanity, there is an inherent sense that we want to go to war. The idea that that's our default mode. Right. That can be instilled in us. And in fact, a large part of the military is trying to instill that into. into Oh yeah. Oh, it's brainwashing. Oh, it's absolutely brainwashing. Um, that's, that's a major goal. They use, they use cult tactics to brainwash Mm -hmm. people, uh, when they join the military. That's, that's not even a secret. I mean, you can just get the manuals. Um, right. But the, the, what, the uh, it's interesting, too, from a historical perspective. There's a lot of uh, historians who are of the position that, especially in the time of um, hand-to-hand combat, you're talking about ancient battles. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in that time, there's a, there is a historical position that not a lot of fighting actually took place, that the route would happen relatively quickly, after whichever side gained an advantage and that would happen quickly. Like people were really hesitant to kill one another and they would route easily. Mm-hmm. So this, there's this position kind of historically that a lot of these big ancient battles and stuff were short kind of affairs that, right. that weren't really all that intense, you know, it's hand to hand combat. Of course really? it's intense yeah, at it's- a baseline, but relatively, right. Especially relative right. to how it's presented that, that this was not something that people easily did. And it is something that people were easily dissuaded from. Right. It's a, it's a, it, I've, I've seen, uh, there's been a, a few people who have made that argument. Um, Dan Carlin has talked about them periodically. Uh, that this idea that ancient warfare maybe wasn't as intense as it's been made out to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And yes, and, and I, again, I, it was con- the, uh, why Johnny can't kill. That was the. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What were you saying? Like, no, I was just going to say that like, uh, I, I know like someone listening to this, I know exactly what they're thinking. I know what they would say. It would be like, well, that's obviously preposterous. Look at how many people, you know, look at how many people he, he, humans are great at killing other humans. And that's absolutely true. Oh uh, yeah. But, uh, but the average person just like, you know, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the last episode about this, like Hobbesian state of nature type thing. It's like, uh, there are absolutely people 
who are bloodthirsty and who absolutely would kill someone. Uh, the vast, I, I do not regard that as the default state for most human beings. Uh, I, it, like people can be trained to kill very effectively. Um, but it, it, again, it's not necessarily the default state. For the average person, that's not how yeah. human. That's not how the average person behaves. And even outside of that, I mean, you, you talk about the military, people who were actively in combat. I mean, there's there's a number of of them, and I can't. I don't have the statistics in front of me, but it's a large number who have to deal with the the psychological damage yes. from being in a position where you have to kill someone. Um, right. like the, who deal with that for the rest of their lives. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, again, I don't have a six in front of me, but I know it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, no, it's not an insignificant proportion of people. <laughs> right. Yeah. Even with all the brainwashing that does happen in the military, uh, th- that still, it, it causes psychological damage that they have to deal with for their forever. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a horrifying reality to have to take a life. That's something that we're not. It is. It, it, I mean, it, I know that. Go ahead. No, go for it. Go for it. I was just going to say that there's uh, I think the statistic is like 22 veterans like kill themselves a day, something like that. Jesus. It never gets talked about. Oh, but yeah. No. That's the of course. That's the statistic. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's oh my God. That's oh, Jesus. That's horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not I just, good I, I for the human psyche to kill it. people. It's I know, yeah. <laughs> it's it's not something we want to do generally. Even the guys yeah. who were like all Rambo, like uh like who who fantasize about being put in a self defense situation uh-huh. <laughs> in air quotes, um, even those guys don't know how they will react in that situation. They just don't right. know. They there's they've got and this I mean, like large, Rambo mentality but uh, this is like famously reported on, obviously. So it's like I'm not saying anything novel here. But uh, in World War II, um, American soldiers were thought to were the generals were trying to dehumanize the Japanese as best as they possibly could, yep. like to the point where they did not they would not regard them as even human beings, like at all. Yep. They would just say the enemy or some other name. Um, it's very important if you're going to like. Um, prime someone to become like a mass killing machine that they cannot look at the enemy as human beings. I had a friend. Dehumanization, dehumanization. Yeah. And, and they, uh, it's, they use race a lot for that just as a, I mean, from a realistic perspective, I had a friend who was a, uh, who was a Marine and, uh, he never actually saw combat, but he, uh, was talking to me one day and he said, yeah, the shit they do to you is ridiculous. He says, I wasn't a racist. And before going into the Marines, and now I am. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm a racist now. He's like, my first thoughts are racist thoughts. Didn't used to be that way. Right. I was like, holy yeah. fuck. That's yeah. entirely so, due to the to the cult tactics and the brainwashing that happens to people in the military. Yeah, you have to you have to convince them that in the moment of combat, uh, to be an effective killing machine, you cannot regard the other person as a another human being like you yeah right absolutely and they have to be a massive threat they have to be a massive threat right it's it's got to be that they're going to and especially in war this isn't necessarily inaccurate but it has to be that they're going to kill the women rape the children and everyone's going to die and and these monsters are going to do that if you don't kill them oh god Um, anyone who uh like doesn't think that that's this is always war propaganda whenever they talk about this look at the war propaganda in world war one 
It it is oh, comical. Man. Like I, I swear to God, it is like horrifying but comical. Like you read that and you're like, "There's no way anyone believed this. This is idiotic." Yeah. And it's like, well, actually, <laughs> well, one of the things it's not even necessarily wrong in some cases. I mean, if you look at the way that the in World War II, if you look at the path of rape and destruction that was cut into Russia, and then once the <laughs> tide turned, the path of rape and destruction that was cut through uh, Eastern Europe and Germany by the Russians right. when it when the when the tide turned around. Um, yeah, it's violent and bad. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, in the, in the words of Norm Macdonald, these are not, uh, nice fellas. <laughs> I mean, this is, uh, yeah. the guys are real jerks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is just like, always be wary whenever you see, especially in a political context, especially if we're talking about politics here. Whenever you see uh, the government or people um, like uh, parroting the government's messaging about dehumanizing a certain group of people. What's happening with the Russians right now? Yeah, especially if they're unpopular, you should be very worried about that because dehumanization is always the preceding factor to genocide and massacres. Yeah, Um, or to justify killing on on some scale, any scale. Yes. Exactly. So whenever the government uh, makes sure to focus on a specific group of people uh, and talk about like how they're dangerous or how they're coming to like, you know, hurt you or your family or something like that. Uh, and they, they're constantly nagging on this point over and over again. Uh, you might be worried. You should be worried that the government might kill these people or they're at least inciting certain amounts of uh, potential violence for these people to be killed and suffer no consequences. Sure. And it was the justification. It was a functional justification right after uh, right after 9-11, if you remember, when when yes. all of the stuff was, uh, you know, in sort of the lead up to the Obama administration, there was a lot of talk about torture at Guantanamo Bay and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and the response was like, these fucking guys attacked us these guys blah, blah, blah. Right. not guys. knowing not knowing that many of the people uh who were actually s- subject to these uh this treatment um that there were a number of them who were there as a case of mistaken identity they weren't even the person they were looking for initially yeah, that, were picked up off the street yeah like a case of complete mistaken identity and that there's a there's a number of them who were it's not just that they were tortured it's that they were uh, uh not given any degree of uh right as a defendant even as a military defendant mm-hmm. um right the, the 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 treatment that was going on is not justifiable but the the justification that people came out with was well uh these fucking ragheads attacked us and yada yada yeah. yada that was that yep. was the discussion and it, it it um even though it's not really even true in a lot of cases right. i mean there were there were people who were not involved at all in terrorism who were being tortured at Guantanamo. There were people yeah. who were involved in terrorism, but nothing having to do with the United States who were in Guantanamo. Right. Um, and I certainly don't trust the United States government to actually like uh, prove that these people were actually involved in anything. And, and certainly that I don't think that would justify in the first place, but the fact that we're just going to take their word for it seems kind of insane to me. Exactly. Well, this is the situation with Abu, uh, Abu Zubeda as well. Uh, Zubeda was a mid-level guy, as I understand it, a mid-level guy in Al-Qaeda. He knew fucking nothing about anything. He didn't know shit about ass. Mm-hmm. He, he was, uh, he, he was just a guy, right? And they brought him in like he was, and and uh, uh, George W. Bush parroted, uh, brought this guy, uh, didn't bring him out physically, but he would 
br- uh, bring up this guy as like a major Al Qaeda operative who they'd captured and all this other stuff. He's like, he was a nobody. He didn't know anything about anyone. <laughs> he was just a guy. But um, and that dude's been uh, they they plucked his eye out. He's been he was tortured for years and years and years, and he's been uh, in Gitmo without habeas relief for something like fourteen years, I think. Um, it's it's terrible. And and now it's like, well, how do you let that guy out? You've now made him so angry that right. how do you? <laughs> how do you feel like about, our bad? <laughs> this is my. Uh, this is like, I. I it, it's so hard for me to comprehend this. Uh, and it's almost it's comical if it wouldn't be so tragic. Which is the fact that conservatives constantly deny blowback theory. They constantly deny that no one would want to. You know. Uh, they're not attacking us because of something we did over there. And then what's your justification for torturing these people? Well, because they did something to us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So they're engaged in the very thing they're trying to deny. They're like, oh, well, we're attacking them because they attacked us. Why did they attack us? Well, yeah. Because history started yesterday and yeah. they don't like us. Because history started on 9-11. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's where everything began. It had nothing to do. I mean, there's not a there's definitely not interviews with bin Laden from the mid 90s talking about the U.S. needs to leave uh, Arab soil. And that that's what yes. they were mad about was the fact that there were U.S. bases on Arab soil. That's definitely right. not it got anything to do with anything that happened after that. Because nobody fucking yeah. remembers it. Nobody remembers. It's just like, I mean, it's just like how everybody knew where he was hiding in Afghanistan. CNN had been there a couple of years before. (laughs) Like, CNN certainly fucking knew where he was. And Bush let him go twice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) After after refusing to deal with the tell, we're just rehashing Scott Horton now. But (laughs) we are. At a certain point, any talk of foreign policy is just a rehash of Scott Horton. At a certain point, yeah. Yeah, if you if you want to learn more about that uh, enough already, and uh, and uh, oh shit, the second book, um, uh, fuck, enough already. Time to end the war in Afghanistan, and I can't remember what the second one was called. I read the thing, and I still can't remember. Um, you know what's so bad? I have it. I have both of them. Yeah, <laughs> and I am blanking Wait, no, too. No, it's enough already. Is enough the for fool's errand? Fool's, fool's, fool's errand is the Afghanistan one. Enough already is the more recent one about the war on terrorism. Generally, yeah. those two books fascinating. Also, read Bush at War. Um, I'll tell you what. And I was thinking about this the other day. Having read Bush at War, I have more respect for Condoleezza Rice than I did before. Oh, interesting. Uh, if you read Bush at War. Uh, Condoleezza Rice seems to have been one of the only people in that room that had any idea what she was talking about. And it seems mm-hmm. to me, I have no personal knowledge of this and I never heard her say it, but it seems to me that she just kind of shut up and went along with it in order to stay in the inner circle. Cause she mm-hmm. was, she was quoted at one point as saying, why are we going after, uh, why are we going after Pashtuns? We should be going after Arabs. Of course, uh, delineating okay. the difference between the Taliban and Al Qaeda. Because the Taliban are Pashtun, Al-Qaeda is largely Arabs. Mm-hmm. And, and she had asked that at a principal's meeting, apparently. And everyone was like, well, shut up, whore. <laughs> Quiet <laughs> hole. You don't know anything. <laughs> but it seems to me like she might have been one of the only people that knew what she was talking about. Mm. In any case. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe it's in Bush at War, uh, which is a great book. Great book. 
Um, of course, it's, you know, there's a little bit of regiminess to it because it's mm-hmm. Bob Woodward. But um, right. supposedly the story goes that when Woodward wanted to write that book, uh, George Bush said, um, give him everything. Supposedly. Uh, I don't know how true that is, but that's the story, is that Woodward wanted to write this, and Bush said, give him everything. Give him all we got. Mm. Let him write his book. Which, if that is true, is kind of huge. And it's not really something I would put past Bush. You know what I mean? Um, But I would put it past the CIA to allow that to happen. So, (laughs) who knows? (laughs) (laughs) But it is an interesting book. I definitely recommend it. Yeah, okay. Okay. Have we talked about everything? I think so, yeah. I think we've talked about literally everything. I don't think there's a single topic on the planet Earth that we haven't covered today. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oftentimes, it's 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 uh, funny trying to like reconnect the dots backwards, like seeing how we get how, where we are right now and how we got to where we are. Oh, it's an episode of Family Guy. It's like, what, how yeah. did you? By the end of it, it's like, how did we end up here? Oh yeah, this thing, yeah. maybe. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. it's horrifying, but I think it's interesting. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 conversational, which is what the show's kind of yeah. supposed to be. Again. It's not a current event show. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, fuck. Um, <laughs> because our date of recording changed, I broke my promise. I don't have outro music. Oh. Yeah, I know. I know. Unbelievable. How could you do such a thing? It's horrifying. I know. <laughs> I, kind of, I kind of hadn't put together in my mind that we were going to be recording way earlier this week. <laughs> you know, just grab a kazoo. And that's the outro. <laughs> just... The kazoo cover of the Jurassic Park theme. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at acearchist.substack.com and uh, ace underscore artist on Twitter. Uh, and you had an appearance on a show recently. Would you like to talk about that? Oh yes, 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 yes. So I um, love that I, I have to. Was... I keep track of your Twitter feed yeah, specifically so that I no, know when you. you appear somewhere because you never remember it. <laughs> yeah. So sorry. I, I yeah. I'm so scatterbrained about this that I I forget to plug appearances I've been. So um, Matt underscore Arky on Twitter uh, asked me to come on his podcast Ungovernable, and uh, for about uh, roughly around two hours, I just kind of described like anarchism from like the ground up type type situation and just went through some anarchist um um anarchist things uh he and his wife were on the podcast um i uh had a lot of fun there so if you want to check that out go to uh, matt underscore arky on twitter and he should have it pinned all right excellent um does he have a website that he posts things to or is it like a podbean feed and stuff um he might. I'm. I don't know. Uh, nah, that's fine. Uh, if you get it, um, actually, go to his Twitter and dig it up while I do my thing. Um, okay, so Dino Files. Uh, eventually, I'll make more episodes of that. Um, after the after the bars episode, I I've t- I told this story before. We had three hours of audio for Dino Files that ended up ended up getting lost because it was the bit rates were wrong and I didn't test the recording beforehand i tested it i watched the waveform and made sure everything was going in but i didn't verify that everything was coming in well 
So I lost that three hours of audio, and I've had a really hard time motivated to remake that. Um, but in any case, there will be stuff there. Uh, this show... Oh, also, my friend on Twitter, Pacing Joska, J-O-U-S-K-A, uh, and this show, T-E-T-C dot show, um, you can find... All the links are in the description of the episode or on tetc.show. And if there are uh, if there are links that seem necessary for show notes and things like that, I will drop those there as well. Um, and okay, did you find a site? Uh, I did not find a site. Okay, that's fine. Just go to a Twitter yeah. feed then. Uh, what was the Twitter yep. account again? Uh, Matt underscore Arky. Excellent. All right, that's the show. Later. All right, later, guys.